Good morning. I am uh, Roger, the lead pastor here at Foothills. And I just found myself this morning just really looking forward, actually this whole week, looking forward to being here. And I kind of miss everybody, and, but I was still looking forward to coming to kind of a mostly empty room because I like to see these people, but also because it just is a reminder that we are all getting together again to worship the Lord and to learn from His Word. And I just want you to know, I've been so encouraged this week by the love that this church family has showed to each other, the concern, emailing, hey, how's, how's this person doing? Have you checked in on this person? And just, I've been so thankful for that. People have reached out to me personally this week, and that's been great. But one of the things that I have heard over and over from people in this church is, what are we going to do as a church family to minister to our community, to reach the people around us during this time of social isolation? And, and just thinking about uh, social separation, so not isolation, we're separated but not isolated, and it just has been so encouraging. One of the things I wanted to just share, I'm going to throw up here a picture, I, I hope you can see it, but we've, uh, we've been getting our our virtual Bible studies together, and we've been practicing and helping people get connected, and it's kind of fun because after getting everything all set up, one of our life groups, it just kind of didn't work out correctly, and uh, so they just called people on phones, set them on the computer, and that's the thing. When glitches happen, we just work through it, but that's just been very encouraging for us. Now, I have been especially excited because of our passage today, and of course, um, Every passage, every week I say it's a great passage because every passage that I look at is amazing. So our, our title this morning is that the king, that's Jesus, has authority over disease. Um, we're, we're hitting a section where Jesus is going to do one miracle after another. He is going to be healing people for the next two chapters. And it's so amazing to see because we understand that all physical suffering is as a result of sin. It's because Adam and Eve fell. And in some ways, how do you know that we have a sin problem? Well, it's actually easy in many ways, but one way is because people die, because people get sick. And that only happens because of the fall. And when Jesus has come to this earth, and as he has demonstrated his power over physical sickness, that testifies to his spiritual power over spiritual sickness. And so we'll be looking at that. Now, our series that we're going through, it's called This is Jesus. And one of the things is that as Christians, we call ourselves Christians, we want to be like Jesus. And there's a lot of people who kind of just make up who they think Jesus was, but we want to know who the real Jesus is. And uh, so we're going to see who he is. Uh, we want to know what did Jesus teach and we want to know, what did he do? How did he live? And as we think about uh, the Gospel of Matthew, up until this point, we're hitting these three sections so far. The first thing is that we see that in Matthew chapter 1, we see Jesus' legal qualification to be the Messiah. He was born in the right family. He had a miraculous birth. In chapter 2, he's fulfilling prophecies, all these details in his life, identify him as the one. In chapter 3, there's the divine approval of Jesus, where he is testified to by the Holy Spirit, by John the Baptist, by God the Father. This is my son. And so we know that Jesus is who he said he was. And uh, he 
he, he demonstrates his character through his temptation in chapter 4. And then we just finished a section on the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapter 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus sits down and he teaches with authority. And Jesus' teaching is different than any other teacher. And the reason for that is that Jesus doesn't appeal to any authority greater than himself. He is the greatest authority. And so what he does in chapter 5, he reveals what true spiritual blessing is, and he reverses the false teaching that, um, that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had been given. Basically, they selectively ap applied the Old Testament. They changed it to suit their purposes. They focused on one part and ignored the other. And all of this, they kind of had their own truth. They made up their own truth. And Jesus came and said, no, this is the truth. And, and what he demonstrates is that for the Pharisees, the more they attempted to obey Jesus or to obey the Old Testament, they actually disobeyed through their legalism. And then Matthew chapter 7 is a, a perfect conclusion where Jesus talks about the ramifications of living a religious life versus living a genuinely spiritually saved life. And he, he basically starts chapter 7 by saying, don't be judgmental toward other people. But the second half, he says, be very careful that you are not following people who are, don't actually know the Lord, that are wolves in sheep's clothing. Make sure that you're evaluating your leaders properly and make sure you're evaluating your own life properly. It's interesting, you could think in that last section that Jesus was saying, he says that it's not people who claim Jesus that are saved, it's those who do God's will. That could be a confusing thing that a person might think, oh, okay, I have to do things to earn heaven. But what Jesus has said in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is when you know God, it changes your heart and you will do God's will because that's what flows out of your heart. You won't read a part of the Bible and then apply it in a way that actually is dishonoring and disobeying God, which is exactly what the religious leaders did. They didn't do God's will. Even if they obeyed a command, they did it in a way that was disobedient. So Jesus has laid that out. We've gone through that section. And now in chapter 8 and 9, we're going to see Jesus heal people. This morning, we're going to look at three people that are healed specifically. And uh, just as a side note, there's a lot of talk about demon possession. Jesus, in this whole section, has talked a lot about eternity. He's talked a lot about hell, punishment, destruction. And we're actually going to come back to both of those. We're going we're to look at de demons and demonic possession and what exactly is that. We're going to look at the reality of hell at some point coming up. But this morning, we are going to see three important things. And these things come from Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 17. We're going to look at the leper. And in this, we're going to see that God is soft-hearted to those who are needy. We're going to look at the healing of the centurion's son. And one of the things that we're going to see in that section is that faith is possible, even if you don't have spiritual privilege. We'll talk about what that is. And the third is that Jesus is going to heal Peter's mother-in-law. 
And in that section, we're actually going to see that physical healing points to the need for spiritual healing. So let's jump in here and let's look at this. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, just as we begin this, uh, it is important for us to read it. Let's read Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, can you make me clean? He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see to it, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So we're looking here, and the first thing we notice is that great crowds are following Jesus. That is the same phrase that ends chapter 4. Then Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and, and now we have those crowds are continuing to follow Jesus. And we, we know that they weren't following him because they necessarily knew him, because they necessarily had a relationship with him. They followed him because he was doing amazing things. Sick people, demon-possessed people. Jesus is healing, casting out demons. And people want to see this. They want to hear his teaching. He teaches like nobody else. He is teaching with authority. And here we see the leper. This leper comes to Jesus. Now, um, when we think about leprosy, what is leprosy? Uh, let me show you a picture that I downloaded from the Internet. What is leprosy? Leprosy is a skin disease. And there's been a lot of debate about whether or not leprosy in the Old Testament, biblical leprosy, is the same as the leprosy that we have today, which is Hansen's disease. And it's likely that the Old Testament word for leprosy encompassed Hansen's disease, but probably a few more things as well. And the issue with this is that leprosy actually still occurs today, and it was a terrible disease. So this man, as he's traveling, you know, we're, we're going through uh, social, uh, you know, social separation. We're supposed to isolate ourselves. Leprosy was the ultimate isolation for a person. Uh, it, it, it says this um, in the CDC website in discussing um, this Hansen's disease. It says it's also known as leprosy. It says it is an, an infection caused by slow-growing bacteria. It can affect the nerves, the skin, the eyes, the lining of the nose. With early diagnosis and treatment, the disease can be cured. People with Hansen's disease can continue to work and lead an active life during and after treatment. Now today, there is a treatment for this disease. In Jesus' day, there wasn't. And Jesus was the only treatment for this disease. Today, it takes one to two years of medication to deal with this disease. Here's one of the things for, uh, it, it continues on in the CDC website, and it says, leprosy was once feared as highly contagious and devastating disease. But now we know it doesn't spread easily, and treatment is very effective. However, if left untreated, 
the nerve damage can result in the crippling of the hands and feet and paralysis and blindness. So when you think about leprosy, it was a, it was a severe disease. It was very difficult. And here's the thing, you know, we can relate a little bit to social isolation. You know, touch is important. Being around people is important. And one of the things that I think about for this leper, you know, for us, social isolation is temporary. For a leper, it was permanent. For us, in a sense, in culture, we're all in this together. Every state, all over the United States, all over the world, we are seeing people being separated and isolated. Well, in this day, as a leper, you were isolated, but you watched everybody else fellowshipping, being around each other. You were isolated and completely left out. You weren't in this together with everyone. What we're going through is temporary. What the leper was going through was permanent. You know, for us, I think about the fact that I'm isolated in my house with people, my family. I could touch them. I can hug them. Like, we're together. We're still sharing life. In this day, if you were a leper, you were isolated from every single person. And this leper, when he sees Jesus, he's desperate, and he knows that Jesus can help him. And he comes, and he says, Jesus, I know you can heal me. That's an expression of faith. He bows down. He's kneeling before him. That's humble. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, we see that this leper was desperate. He was begging. He was saying, Jesus, please heal me. And you'll notice his faith. Uh, his faith. He, he doesn't say, if you can heal me. He says, you can heal me. Now, this is the interesting thing, is that we see that Jesus reached out and touched him. He touched a person who had probably not been touched in years since he developed this disease. It was such a terrible disease as people would rot and smell. Nobody would risk touching them to catch this disease. But Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. Jesus loves him. I was thinking about uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, and it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, one of the things that we see here is that Jesus, the God of the universe, loves this outcast. Nobody is an outcast to Jesus, and he reaches out, and he touches him, and he expresses love, and he comforts him. And one of the things for us to think about is as we look at who Jesus is as believers, we are supposed to be that way. Obviously, we're not Jesus, but we're supposed to demonstrate his character and his love. And, and we're going to come back to this more at the end, but I want to point this out right at the very beginning. You know, Jesus is the great physician, and he healed on earth. That was a demonstration of his power to heal people spiritually. Mark 2.17 says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus, throughout his ministry, makes a connection because between physical healing and the need for spiritual healing. There's always this connection. If Jesus can heal physically, he can 
heal spiritually. And what is people's greatest need? It's not physical healing. Everyone's greatest need is spiritual healing. One of the things we see is Jesus' power. In every one of these stories, you see the same themes. But look at verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him. That was an act of love. And he says, I will. Jesus is willing to heal. And he says, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus had the power to immediately transform life because he is authoritative. He's the God of the universe. He created everything. He can reach out and heal totally, completely, and immediately. Look at verse 4. And then Jesus says to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but that you go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You know, Jesus tells this man, okay, I've healed you, uh, I love you, I'm soft-hearted toward you because you're needy. And he reaches out and he heals him and he says, now go show yourself to the priest. One of the things that you see is Jesus was not trying to create this huge crowd to follow him. He, he was trying to keep it quiet. What we find out in the other gospel accounts is that this man is so excited, so overwhelmed, he just goes and tells everyone. And uh, it's interesting because in, in Luke, I believe, it says, uh, or no, in Mark... It says that after Jesus heals him and he becomes so famous, he actually can't go into town because he's so surrounded by crowds. He, he ministers out in the wilderness areas because so many people are trying to get to him. So just some observations here. First, Jesus isn't trying to hype up the crowds, um, but he is caring and ministering and healing people. The second thing is that this man is a powerful witness to the priest. He's to go show himself. To the priest so that they can look and they can see oh my goodness you have leprosy and you've been healed an undeniable miracle but the amazing thing is that for many of the religious leaders they didn't listen they didn't respond properly to the miracles that jesus did the third observation here is that god tells us man okay i've healed you now go obey god go do exactly what god has told you to do this is just what a, an amazing picture that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who came to seek and save the lost. And it is amazing that Jesus saves people who have no hope. This man without Christ had no physical hope. He had no spiritual hope. Jesus reached into his life and completely changed him. So you see this humble outcast coming to Jesus and Jesus reaches out in love. Second thing we're going to see here is the centurion. The centurion's servant is about to be healed. Now, as people think about these three healings, it's, it's this leper, it's this Gentile centurion is going to make the request, and it's Peter's mom. And a lot of people would say that, that, G, that, this, that in Matthew's gospel that he's presenting the outcasts. People had a low view of, um, of lepers. Obviously, people had a low view of Gentiles, the, the Jewish leaders of that day, and they had a low view of women. And it, it's true that in many cases that was the case, that people did have a low view. And it is also true that Jesus never fit into the weaknesses, difficulties, sinfulness of the culture. Jesus had a high view of everyone. He loved everybody. He's the one who's designed life, and he responds to every person with love. 
But I, I think that that actually kind of misses maybe or is, or is misses kind of mainly what's happening here. So I think you see in the first case, you see an outcast who's powerless to help himself. Let's consider the centurion. We, we've got uh, um, some verses here, verse 5. And one of the things that we're going to see is that faith is possible even without spiritual privilege. It says this, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And again, Jesus says to him, I will come and heal him. That's just a, a few amazing observations here. First, it's an interesting note that this is a, a when he enters Capernaum, now this is his hometown, and, a, and a, this, this man comes to him, probably also from Capernaum. So you think about how does this Roman centurion know Jesus? How does he know to go to him? And it's very possible that he was stationed in that area and actually was watching Jesus grow up, grow up and lived in the same town and got to know him. And so this is a town. Now, one of the things we know about the centurion is that he was friendly to the Jews. He actually sends Jewish leaders to, to make this request to Jesus. We see in the other Gospels. And so he wasn't necessarily an outcast. Um, he was a person who was friendly, who built a temple for the Jewish people. So this centurion was not born with spiritual privilege. One of the things that you see in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, everybody is in trouble before God. Everybody's a sinner and separated from God. And it, just because you're born a Jew doesn't give you special standing. But then Paul says, does that mean that we have not been incredibly blessed to be able to have God's word? No, that is a huge blessing. This centurion didn't grow up as a Jew knowing God, but he did come to know Jesus. And when you think about a centurion, you know, this man's not weak. This is a very powerful man, probably somebody very well off. Uh, he was a Roman soldier, and he, he was over a hundred other soldiers. Now, if you think about how powerful and awesome the Roman soldiers were, watch the beginning scene of Gladiator. Man, those, those Romans are just, they're brave, they are powerful. That is an accurate depiction of what the Roman soldiers were like. And this man was not just a Roman, a soldier. He was so powerful. He was such a good, so good at what he did that he was elevated to be the leader of a hundred men, going into battle, fighting battle, being able to make military decisions under pressure. This was a powerful man who could get things done. He was a leader who inspired confidence. He was, he was not helpless in life. He was in a position of power. But he has a servant. It's interesting. You see the compassion from this centurion. He's compassionate toward his servant. Now, in his, in his military life, he probably killed many, many people. And, and when his servant gets sick, his young servant, he doesn't just say, okay, he's sick, he's paralyzed, he's of no use to me, get rid of him, go find me a new servant. He's compassionate. He is soft-hearted. And one of the things that you'll notice here is that he says... Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. He is suffering terribly. Here you have a centurion looking at his servant, and he's soft-hearted because that servant is suffering. 
And he doesn't even go to Jesus himself, we find. He gets some people and he, he sends them to Jesus to say, Lord, my servant is sick. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. So he has this compassion. Look at verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You know, um, when we look at the parallel accounts, the centurion did say these things to Jesus. And, but he doesn't actually say them personally. He says these things to Jews, Jewish leaders, that take this request to Jesus. But one of the things that you see in this is that this powerful man that could walk into a city and just take what he might want, uh, he has humility and reverence before Jesus. He recognizes that while there's a lot of things I can do, I am powerless to help my servant. And yet there is somebody who is not powerless. Jesus is not powerless. And so he goes and he makes this request and it's reverent. And he just says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. And he knows that Jesus can solve this problem. Jesus agrees to do it. Look at verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What an incredible contrast. You know, the whole Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Everything in God's word speaks of Jesus. It points to Jesus. And the religious leaders who were so privileged, who had spent their life studying the word of God, who had spent their life studying this and teaching others, missed Jesus. And here a Roman soldier, a centurion, sees Jesus for who he is. You know, spiritual privilege does not always result in spiritual advantage. Uh, that is a tragic thing when we miss the benefits that God has for us. I want to I just take a step back, and, and as we think about that, the faith that is demonstrated, can we think about the church and, and what it is like? What an incredible privilege to grow up in church, to go to church every week, to have God's Word taught. What an amazing privilege to grow up in a Christian home with a mom and a dad that love you. And from the time you're young, they're teaching you the Bible. I, I often think about what an incredible privilege to grow up in a pastor's home. Like about, you know, my kids, man, they, they come home and any Bible question they have, I can help them figure out the answer to it. What an amazing privilege. I, I, I did read a book one time written by a pastor's kid that was just talking about the woes and how terrible it is to grow up in a Christian home and how hard it is and what a struggle. And I just wanted to say, oh man, somebody call the ambulance. I think about people who grow up in abusive homes, uh, people who grow up in broken homes, people who grow up in homes where there's no guidance, there's no godliness, there's no encouragement. People who, who grow up in homes with with parents who are prostitutes, selling drugs. Like, you just think about the hard ways to grow up, the hard things that people go through. 
And then you have some kids saying, oh man, what a nightmare. I had to go to church every week. I always had to read the Bible. I've heard so many sermons. I don't, I don't know what to think about that. And I just think, oh man, you know, somebody call the ambulance. The reality is that there is a huge struggle also. There's a book called Growing Up Christian, and it talks about the struggles of growing up in the midst of incredible spiritual blessing and how we can become cold-hearted to it. We can become heartless. We can lose our passion. We can lose reverence for God because it's around us all the time. And that's actually what Jesus, the point Jesus is making here, the Jews, all kinds of spiritual um, blessing, cold-hearted toward God. Do we see that in life? Do we see that in the church? Do we see kids growing up, going to youth group? They have no passion, no heart for the Lord. Um, the, the stereotype that, oh yeah, the pastor's kids, those are the worst ones. What a terrible tragedy when a person growing up with spiritual privilege is cold-hearted toward the things of God. Have you ever met unbelievers who they, they become Christians, they come to church, they're passionate toward the Lord, the things of God, they're evangelistic? Now, we, need to, we need to guard against what happened with the Jews. And Jesus just makes this contrast. Look at verse 11. It says this, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. People who are born and given every opportunity to enter eternity with Jesus are going to go through life. They're going to embrace their spiritual privilege, but not Jesus. And they're going to end their life spending eternity separated from God. What an incredible tragedy. And then he says to the centurion, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. You know, I, just to wrap this up, one of the things for us to consider in our own life, do we respond to Jesus with honor, with reverence? Do we have a heart for people that are struggling with sin? Or, or does sin seem fun? Oh man, I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been neglected. Look at all the great things out there that are rebellious against God, but all that fun that I would have an opportunity to do, but I can't. Or do we see life for what it really is? Luke 12 says this, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what did deserve a beating will receive a light beating. To everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him who they entrusted much, they will demand the more. It's critical for us, even if we've grown up in spiritual privilege, that we have a heart for Jesus. Let's look at the third example. This is a Jewish lady that's going to be healed. Um, and, and we're going to see that healing is ultimately points to spiritual healing. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw that his mother-in-law lying, was lying sick with a fever. 
Now, one of the things that we see with this fever in Luke chapter 4, Luke is a doctor, and he says this is a high fever. I remember when our kids were young, and, and they got one time one of them got sick, and they had a really high fever, and their fever was just shooting up, and we're giving them Tylenol, and we're getting ready to go to the hospital. We're calling the doctor because we're just thinking, man, if they get too hot, this could cause brain damage, and we're doing everything we can do to try to bring that fever down and get them in for help. In this day, they didn't have Tylenol. They didn't have all the me medical technology we have. And, and she was lying sick with a fever. And it says that Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and began to serve. So she is immediately and totally healed. This Jewish lady, and she gets up and she starts cooking and she starts serving. You know, there was no recovery period. It's not like the fever left her, but then her body needed to recover. She was immediately restored to full health. Um, you know, we notice several things here. First of all, you can't help but notice the fact that Peter was married. Uh, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, that Peter, as he traveled along and did ministry, he took his wife with him. In fact, when he writes the book of 1 Peter, he closes the book by saying, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Peter's probably talking about his wife who was with him when he wrote that letter. And so Peter is married. He travels with his wife. He does ministry with his wife. And Jesus, in this situation, cares about and heals his mother-in-law. And then it goes on. And it says this, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits, and with a word he healed all who were sick. And then this verse closes with a really powerful statement. It says this, and it gives us the context for this healing and other healing as well. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and he bore our diseases. You know, I want to look with you at that specific passage. Isaiah chapter 53. One of the things that you see in the context is this is an Old Testament prophecy, um, an Old Testament passage discussing the Messiah who would come and who would die for the sins of mankind. And as I said earlier, there is a, a huge connection between physical sickness and sin. And, and the Bible is clear in its message that people don't get sick just because they sin. Not everybody who gets sick, is, it's because they've done something and that's caused them to get sick. I mean, throughout the Bible, that is a very clear message. It is also very clear throughout Scripture that Jesus and God does not intend to heal every physical sickness that a person can have. That is very clear. But one of the things that we see is that all sickness, all death, all physical suffering... Everything wrong in this world is because of sin. And when Jesus came to this earth, he healed people because he loved them. He healed people to demonstrate his power. As we come uh, later, we'll, we'll uh, come across some passages where Jesus will say, I forgive your sins. 
And everybody will say, oh, how, how could he have the power to forgive sins? And he'll say, so you know I can forgive sins? I'm going to heal this person's body. But I want to look at Isaiah chapter 53. This is what it says. He has surely borne our griefs and has carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to forgive. And you'll notice that there's a, a little bit of difference in the phrasing. Um, it's likely that Matthew read this in Hebrew and that he translated it. And I just put in parentheses um, some of the synonyms that would go along with those Hebrew words. Surely he has borne our griefs, which also is in many cases translated sicknesses, and carried our sorrow, which sometimes is also translated as pain. And so probably Matthew reads this and he quotes it, taking into the, uh, consideration the whole context of what's happening here. That there is a connection between physical illness, physical suffering, and sin. And while Jesus does heal physical suffering, while he can do that, and at times he does, Jesus is here primarily to heal our spiritual sickness, our spiritual dif difficulty. Jesus came and actually died physically and paid the penalty for our sins spiritually. And that's what's happening here, and that's what's being communicated. As we think about this, some things stand out, out in this passage. Jesus demonstrates that he is God. It is undeniable that he is the creator, that he is the sovereign. He demonstrates that he loves us. And I just want you to know that if you're desperate, that's a great place to be, to be desperate and to say, Jesus, I have no hope but you. From the centurion, we see that even if you're powerful, in reality, life is out of control. Uh, as smart as we think we are, as many doctors and hospitals as we have in many places, this, this whole thing is out of control. And we realize that we are not in control. We cannot absolutely heal no matter what resources we have. That's different with God. So if you're rich and powerful, you should also know that you are completely helpless and especially in the area of your greatest need, your spiritual need, but in every way. And you can cry out to Jesus. And from Peter's mother-in-law, we see complete, total healing. And the point that we are, um, there's a connection between physical suffering and sin. I want to pray for us that we would be people that see this, that embrace this, that see Jesus for who he is. And that we follow him faithfully and reach out to people in love, in their time of difficulty, but with a mind to people's ultimate spiritual need. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for this passage. Lord, I ask that you would get our attention, that we would remember the historical reality of these events. God, that you love us, that you are powerful. Lord, as we struggle 
as we face things that remind us that we are not in control, Lord, I ask that you would give us faith to trust you. Lord, if there are people watching today that don't have a personal relationship with you, Lord, that have not come to that place, that they have recognized that they're sinners separated from you and that they are in desperate need of the spiritual healing that only you can give. God, I pray that you would open their hearts to see that, that they would cry out to you. And Lord, that you would save them, that you would transform them. And Lord, I thank you that um, we, can, we can trust you in the midst of this challenge. Lord, thank you for our church family. Pray that you would help us to do our part to be a help and a spiritual encouragement to those around us. In your name, amen.